Welcome to Present Poetry. I'm your host, Erin Crittenden, and all poems within this podcast are either public domain or used with permission from the author or the author's estate. It's a fun time for poetry lovers of all ages, so sit back, relax, and get ready to hear some poems of the past and the present. This week's featured poet is Hilaire Belloc. Joseph Hilaire Pierre René Belloc was born in La Salle Saint Cloud, France, on July 27, 1870. His father was Louis Belloc, a French lawyer, and his mother was writer and women's advocate Bessie Reynard Parks. After Louise's untimely death in 1872, Bessie took her children and returned to her native home of England. That's where Hilaire spent most of his life, and he often wrote poems and other stories about his childhood home in Sussex. In 1890, Hilaire met Elodie Hogan, the daughter of an American widow, and became instantly smitten with her. He began courting her while she stayed with his family, and wrote her extensive letters after she went home to America. The letters were never enough, and in 1891, Hilaire sold most of his belongings and purchased a ticket to New York on the premise of visiting relatives in Philadelphia. However, his true reason was to see Elodie, and he soon began a trek across America to find her. He rode trains until his money ran out, and then he walked the rest of the way, paying for lodging by sketching the owners or reciting poetry. Upon reaching San Francisco, his joy at seeing Elodie gave way to disappointment when her mother severely opposed the marriage. He left after a few weeks and returned to New York, only to receive a letter from Melody rejecting him for good. After that, Hilaire threw himself into military work and served with an artillery regiment near Toul in 1891. When he was finished with his military career, Hilaire entered Oxford University and soon rose up the ranks with great honors. He graduated with a history degree in 1895 and was awarded first-class honors for his work. Now financially stable, he returned to San Francisco in 1896 for Elodie, but found her deathly ill. Afraid to lose her again, they married on June 15, 1896. Elodie thankfully recovered, and the two of them ended up with five children before her death in 1914. During his distinguished career, Hilaire wrote over 150 books on poetry, warfare, religion, and other prevalent topics. He was also one of the big four of Edwardian letters, putting him in the ranks of H.G. Wells, George Bernard Shaw, and G.K. Chesterton. Hilaire Belloc died on July 16, 1953, at the Mount Alvernia Nursing Home in Guilford, Surrey. However, his legacy in writing, history, and politics lives on. His most acclaimed book, and the one that we are reading from today, is The Cautionary Tales for Children. Published in 1907, this book of poems describes humorous situations, but often leaves us with a stark moral lesson. This poem is called Jim, who ran away from his nurse and was eaten by a lion. There was a boy whose name was Jim. His friends were very good to him. They gave him tea and cakes and jam, and slices of delicious ham, and chocolate with pink inside, and little tricycles to ride, and read him stories through and through, and even took him to the zoo. 
But there it was the dreadful fate befell him which I now relate. You know, at least you ought to know, for I have often told you so, that children never are allowed to leave their nurses in a crowd. Now this was Jim's especial foible. He ran away when he was able, and on this inauspicious day he slipped his hand and ran away. He hadn't gone a yard when, bang, with open jaws a lion sprang, and hungrily began to eat the boy beginning at his feet. Now just imagine how it feels when first your toes and then your heels, and then by gradual degrees your shins and ankles, calves and knees, are slowly eaten bit by bit. No wonder Jim detested it. No wonder that he shouted, Ha! The honest keeper heard his cry. Though very fat, he almost ran to help the little gentleman. Ponto, he ordered as he came, for Ponto was the lion's name. Ponto, he cried with angry frown, let go, sir, down, sir, put it down. The lion made a sudden stop, he let the dainty morsel drop, and slunk reluctant to his cage, snarling with disappointed rage. But when he bent him over Jim, the honest keeper's eyes were dim. The lion, having reached his head, the miserable boy was dead. When nurse informed his parents, they were more concerned than I can say. His mother, as she dried her eyes, said, Well, it gives me no surprise. He would not do as he was told. His father, who was self-controlled, bade all the children round attend to James's miserable end, and always keep a hold of nurse for fear of finding something worse. This poem is called Matilda, who told lies and was burned to death. Matilda told such dreadful lies. It made one gasp and stretch one's eyes. Her aunt, who, from her earliest youth, had kept a strict regard for truth, attempted to believe Matilda. The effort very nearly killed her, and would have done so had not she discovered this infirmity. For once, towards the close of day, Matilda, growing tired of play, and finding she was left alone, went tiptoe to the telephone, and summoned the immediate aid of London's noble fire brigade. Within an hour the gallant band were pouring in on every hand, from Putney, Hackney Downs, and Bow, with courage high and hearts aglow. They galloped, roaring through the town, Matilda's house is burning down. Inspired by British cheers and loud, proceeding from the frenzied crowd, they ran their ladders through a score of windows on the ballroom floor and took peculiar pains to souse the pictures up and down the house until Matilda's aunt succeeded in showing them they were not needed and even then she had to pay to get the men to go away. It happened that a few weeks later her aunt was off to the theater to see that interesting play The Second Mrs. Tanqueray. She had refused to take her niece to hear this entertaining piece, a deprivation just and wise to punish her for telling lies. That night a fire did break out. You should have heard Matilda shout. You should have heard her scream and bawl and throw the window up and call to people passing in the street, the rapidly increasing heat, encouraging her to obtain their confidence, but all in vain. For every time she shouted fire, they only answered, Little liar! 
and therefore when her aunt returned, Matilda and the house were burned. This poem is called Rebecca, who slammed doors for fun and perished miserably. A trick that everyone abhors in little girls is slamming doors. A wealthy banker's little daughter, who lived in Palace Green, Bayswater, by name Rebecca Orfendort, was given to this furious sport. She would deliberately go and slam the door like Billy Ho to make her Uncle Jacob start. She was not really bad at heart, but only rather rude and wild. She was an aggravating child. It happened that a marble bust of Abraham was standing just above the door this little lamb had carefully prepared to slam, and down it came and knocked her flat. It laid her out. She looked like that. Her funeral sermon, which was long and followed by a sacred song, mentioned her virtues, it is true, but dwelt upon her vices too, and showed the dreadful end of one who goes and slams the doors for fun. The children who were brought to hear the awful tale from far and near were much impressed and inly swore they never more would slam the door as often as they had before. This poem is called George, who played with a dangerous toy and suffered a catastrophe of considerable dimensions. When George's grandmama was told that George had been as good as gold, she promised in the afternoon to buy him an immense balloon. And so she did, but when it came, it got into the candle flame, and being of a dangerous sort, exploded with a loud report. The lights went out, the windows broke, the room was filled with reeking smoke, and in the darkness shrieks and yells were mingled with electric bells, and failing masonry and groans, and crunching as of broken bones, and dreadful shrieks, when worst of all, the house itself began to fall. It tottered, shuddering to and fro, then crashed into the street below, which happened to be Seville Row. When help arrived among the dead were Cousin Mary, Little Fred, the footman, both of them, the groom, the man that cleaned the billiard room, the chaplain, and the still-room maid, and I am dreadfully afraid that Monsieur Champignon, the chef, will now be permanently deaf, and both his aides are much the same, while George, who was in part to blame, received, you will regret to hear, a nasty lump behind the ear. The moral is that little boys should not be given dangerous toys. This poem is called Charles Augustus Fortescue, who always did what was right and so accumulated an immense fortune. The nicest child I ever knew was Charles Augustus Fortescue. He never lost his cap or tore, his stockings or his pinafore. In eating bread, he made no crumbs. He was extremely fond of sums, to which, however, he preferred the parsing of a Latin word. He saw it when it was in his power for information twice an hour. And as for finding mutton fat, unappetizing, far from that, he often, at his father's board, would beg them of his own accord to give him, if they did not mind, the greasiest morsels they could find. 
His later years did not belie the promise of his infancy. In public life he always tried to take a judgment broad and wide. In private none was more than he, renowned for quiet courtesy. He rose at once in his career, and long before his fortieth year had wedded Fifi, only child, of Bunyan, first Lord Aberfylde. He thus became immensely rich, and built the splendid mansion which is called the Cedars Muswell Hill, where he resides in affluence still, to show what everybody might become by simply doing right. Thank you for listening to this episode of Present Poetry. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review, share us on social media, or subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you would like to learn more about the featured poet, or you would like your work featured on the podcast, please check out the links in the show notes. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you all have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.